Anything that I tried to do in my previous, you know, sort of investing career that was all about short-term gains has not ended well. Money in investments uh, for me is all about patience. I'm really wary of any get-rich-quick mm. schemes and things that promise you this uh, wonderful pop. You've really got to understand the risk that you're prepared to take. You really have to pick the right manager who has the right discipline I mentioned and the right integrity. And diversification is key in, in everything you do. So you really don't want to be invested in one asset class. What are your key takeaways and must-do actions for investors? Well. Private markets investments are investors can find some real value. I find the best way to learn is learn from someone who's done it before and given it a go. Hi, I'm Travis Miller, host of Grow Your Wealth podcast. Thanks for joining me here today. On these podcast sessions, we're going to talk through how uh, certain investors have navigated the bumpy road of investing, whether it be through business or investments in general. Thanks for listening today. Thanks for joining me today, Bob Sahota. Uh, Managing Director and CIO of Revolution Asset Management. Bob's a seasoned expert in private credit as the co-founder and Managing Director of Revolution Asset Management. Bob brings to the table a wealth of experience and vision. His strategic leadership has driven the growth and direction of the Australian-New Zealand private debt portfolio. Revolution Asset Management is a specialist investment manager established to provide institutional, wholesale and professional investors with access to the Australian-New Zealand private debt market. Stay tuned to Grow Your Wealth, where we uncover the insights and stories that have defined Bob Sahota's investment journey. Bob, thank you for joining me today. Travis, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Fair enough. You'd see the clipboard, you know this is serious. <laughs> so what I would mind starting with is just a little bit of background on yourself. So a little bit about my background. Um, I, uh, like a lot of people, uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I studied um, a Bachelor of Commerce degree at UNSW, majoring in accounting and finance. By the time I came out of uni, I was thoroughly confused about what I wanted to do, but I knew exactly what I didn't want to do, which was be an accountant. So <laughs> finance it was. So um, I went uh, basically down this uh, stream of finance and uh, it's been a wonderful journey ever since. And uh, we can talk about, you know, some of the milestones along the way. Fair enough. How'd you go at uni? What were the marks like? Oh, the marks were really initially very good. Yeah, gotcha. And then I discovered the more social aspects of university life. Um, so we had a thoroughly good time, both uh, in the classroom and outside. And uh, I think it's all about, you know, learning many more things and understanding how people work and the psychology and, and how yeah. to get along with people is just as important as knowing the numbers and, and how to use them. Totally agree. Yeah, the social side of uni and the workplace is just as important. Agree. Now, can you work us through your career journey? You know, share, you know, two to three pivotal moments you know, have led you to where you are now. Yep. So uh, my, my career started in banking. Um, so understanding credit and um, lending money, different industries, different businesses, uh, and understanding what sort of leverage that they can sustain, what sort of cash flows and that sort of thing. And understanding that from a grassroots level, banks are perfect for that. I guess the first pivotal moment for me was when I went from banking into funds management in the late 1990s. So that was a real change. So funds management is a very different industry to banking. And uh, I'm so glad that I made that change way back in the late 90s. And I was very fortunate that I was actually in an organisation that were one of the pioneers at National Asset Management in Melbourne to be able to put loan product into fixed income portfolios, um, one of the very first. So that was the first pivotal moment. 
I guess the next pivotal moment was after a few other jobs in my career, including uh, working at AMP Capital and PIMCO in a more liquid traded uh, corporate bond role, was in February of 2005 when I joined Challenger, where I got initially carriage of a billion dollars out of the Challenger Life Company's $3 billion balance sheet at the time. And because of my passion for alternatives and private debt, which is kind of the, 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 the theme of what we're going to talk about today, I took the idea of private debt to Challenger uh, and to their great credit, embraced that. And out of the billion dollars, I initially had allocation and approved to do $200 million of that to start investing into private debt. And I built that business from scratch. And I guess the very last pivotal moment was five and a half years ago when myself and, and two other co-founders and colleagues decided to establish Revolution Asset Management. Uh, and that five and a half year journey has been a, a wonderful one uh, and one that I'm really happy to share with you today. Yeah, it's been great watching uh, watching that business grow. Do you think years ago when you first started in credit, private credit and private debt would be such a trendy asset class <laughs> these days? Well, it's almost like I tell people 30 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> um, I think in a rising rate environment, everyone suddenly discovered, hey, there's this asset class that actually gives you the ability to actually get non-correlated income that mm. is actually tied to the base rate, which is a floating rate. Uh, and that income attribute and the, and the low or no correlation to the public mm. markets is probably why everybody's starting to talk about this. Sure. Um, but there are some certain pitfalls uh, and certain things that you should uh, definitely be aware of when you're uh, investing in the asset class. For sure, for sure. Now, what have you invested your time, energy and money in over the years? And why? And how has it led you to where you are today? Uh, my own money and time and effort initially was, uh, you know, in this country, in Australia, we all have this uh, seemingly yeah. endless love affair with real estate. For sure. So um, I was pretty vanilla in the early days investing in, um, in real estate um, and, and being able to be fortunate enough to, you know, like everybody who starts out, you know, basically uh, scrape every last dollar and try to get your first deposit sure. to buy your first house. Uh, and it's been a good journey from there. But I guess more recently, understanding uh, other ways that you can diversify uh, and diversification is key in, in everything you do. So you really don't want to be invested in one asset class. Sure. So in that way, to be able to uh, access different areas of investment, to diversify those risks across different asset classes. And uh, and, and because of my particular bent alternatives and, uh, and in your business and iPartners, has been one that's allowed me and others to actually access you know, very easily through a very efficient platform, uh, really good investments uh, that, that have, were formerly you know, quite difficult to, to get. Gotcha. It's interesting. Everyone starts in property, their first uh, investment, <laughs> yeah. you know, buying your house. That's right. You learn about leverage and you know, paying interest and all sorts of things, which is great. Yeah. Now, can you share your story in a bit more detail just about money and investments? So money and investments uh, for me is all about patience. So in fact, even our business, it's all about patient capital. Um, I, I'm really wary of any get rich quick mm. schemes and things that promise you this uh, wonderful pop. Uh, I'm sure it, it's worked out and you, we read yeah. about all those guys that, you know, who started a business and did something in tech and then sold it off for, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. I've just never been that lucky about it. Mm. Um, and anything that I tried to do in my previous, uh, you know, sort of investing career, that was all about short-term gains has not ended well. Yeah, I'm all about basically coming up with uh, a long-term strategy, sticking with it, uh, being able to be patient. And that I believe is a very good catalyst and the, and the benefits of compounding really gives you um, a long-term edge 
Um, you won't get rich overnight, but um, you know, there's a surefire way that you can minimize downside risk if you pick, you know, really good investments and stick with them. Yeah, totally agree. Get rich schemes are great until they're not. Basically. That's right. Yep. <laughs> hey, if you're enjoying this, please subscribe on whatever platform you're using. It helps us build a community. We want to educate investors and this is what it's all about. So where did the idea for revolution come from? And, you know, where did you source your first, uh, you know, first dollar of capital? Yep. And, you know, who supported you along the journey? Yeah, look, um, there's, there's really uh, important people in our lives that have, that have made a huge impact. Um, really, the, the idea came from global banking regulations. Sure. So banks used to be all things to all people. There was really no private debt um, market as such or opportunity. Uh, we were doing it back in the late 90s, but it was very small. Um, very small non-bank lending market. Yep. Then at AMP Capital, we were doing leverage buyout lending again, one of the only non-bank lenders in the space. But I would say the momentum in what we do has really gathered pace with global banking reform, really in the aftermath of the global financial crisis. Sure. In other parts of the world, uh, in the US and in Europe in particular, banks came out of that uh, period in a lot worse shape than the big four Australian banks. And that really caused um, the Australian banks to continue on their merry way of looking at revenue and market share when all the other banks in the world had really had to reduce their balance sheets and get a lot of risk off their balance sheets. That spawned the private debt markets mm, sure. in those markets um, in 2008, 9 and onwards. I'd say in Australia, we're probably a good decade behind that. But global banking reform is just that, global. So the Australian banks started to really feel a pinch of that in really 2018. And that was the year that we established revolution. So these big banks, they move out of certain areas because of regulatory capital, not because these are bad areas of investment mm. and they're not credit worthy. It's just that on a pound for pound basis, these are areas that we've chosen that they are no longer very, very um, yeah, interested in because of regulation. That then spawns the opportunity for private debt investors like us to take, you know, form a share of what the banks used to do mm. and be able to provide it to institutional clients, high net worths, family offices, uh, and wholesale client base, mm. uh, which we've proven over, you know, the five and a half year journey, uh, growing the business uh, very well to a two and a half billion dollar business today. For sure. Yeah, that makes, makes total sense. Mm. Um, now, what is the biggest shift you made in your <clears throat> career uh, that brought you to where you are today? Oh, look, as I mentioned, the, the biggest shift was moving from banking to funds, gotcha. but um, really the biggest shift is, is owning my own business yeah. uh, and, cool. and having you know, a wonderful team around me and a culture that, that we've established from, from day one, having had the benefit of seeing other businesses and seeing other um, strategies along the way, structures that have gone well or have failed, you know, really observing what works and what doesn't having the benefit of many cycles of experience to be able to establish our business with very strong foundations. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, on the culture front, always uh, important to, to discuss, what do you think is the difference between, you know, a smaller business like yourselves, obviously growing to a larger business and a large institution like the banks? What do you think is culturally different about the two? Look, I, I, I sort of, uh, on an offhand way, say yeah. it's, uh, it's fairly easy managing money much harder managing people. Yeah, gotcha. So the bigger the organization, the harder it is to control the culture. Yeah, gotcha. uh, and in particular, you've got other competing interests. There's regulatory impost on banks. Mm, sure. There's there's often internal politics. There's this discretionary bonus where everybody's trying yeah. to jockey for position. 
Um, and a lot of times they're doing a lot of work that is actually not in the interests of their ultimate shareholders or stakeholders. <clears throat> this is where I believe smaller companies and smaller in, in, in smaller companies like ourselves, mm. we wake up every day and we know what our North Star is. Sure. We know what is going to be in the best interests of our clients. And I believe very, very firmly that um, whether you run a small business like a fish and chip shop all the way up to a major corporate, um, what you need to do is always be focused on your client's best interests. If you do that, that I think is the, the, the path to having a very successful business. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Now, what's worked and wasn't hasn't, what hasn't, and what have been the learnings from, uh, from your career? So what's worked is, uh, as I mentioned, long-term investments. And, yep. and for us, private debt is all about um, you know, investing in, uh, in, in debt securities or loans. Yep. <clears throat> and when you, when you boil it down to the most basic thing, we have this philosophy that says we lend money to companies through cycles and we make, <clears throat> excuse me, we make absolutely sure under all reasonable scenarios that these companies can pay our interest as and when they're due and really have our, our loan repaid at the end. Mm. Sounds simple, yeah? yeah? It's not that simple when, yeah. you know, you've got the ability to maybe earn a couple more percent uh, and take that little bit more risk or go into a cyclical industry and say, you know, it'll be okay. To give you an example, um, you know, when we first started out, people said, you know, rates were, were next to zero. Our, our return is, is RBA cash plus four to 5%. We've been above that. So returning around 6% gross. Now, people said, we're not locking up our money, Bob, for like yeah. five or 6% return. We can give our money to these property developers. And mm. within 12 months, hey, presto, we made eight, 10 or 12%. Yep. What I told them at the time was it's not that easy and these are not the same risk. Yeah. Uh, it seems like, uh, you know, got bricks and mortar security, but we've found over the last 12 months and probably more so next 12 months that it's not that simple when you've got supply cost disruption, you've got labor cost increases, you've got interest rates have gone up. These are not that simple anymore. So having a cash flow um, based lending uh, discipline is of paramount importance if you're talking about investing through a cycle. I'd say what, you know, what, what we've learned along the way is what not to do. Mm. So what not to do is to lend money and, and the other part of our business is lending to private equity led mm. acquisitions. So we lend money to you know, household names that everyone would be familiar with. Arnott's Biscuits, Hellscope Hospitals, um, Icon Cancer Treatment Centres, um, and you know these or MYOB, yeah, um, Colonial First State. These are five examples of companies that we just think sustain through cycles. They occupy leading market shares. They have the ability to pass on any input price rises to their end customers. Yeah. What we don't do, uh, we don't lend money to things that are very discretionary, uh, hospitality, tourism mining, property development, as I mentioned, yeah. these are cyclical industries. And when the cycle turns, even uh, you can lose obviously the equity, which private mm. equity gets forgiven for, but you can actually lose real principal in your loan as well. Yeah, for sure. Yep. No, it's very interesting. Now, what's been your best and worst personal investment? And what did you learn from that? My best personal investment has probably been property. <laughs> it's, yeah. been a, it's been a long-term bull market. Um, yeah. And, and anybody that bets against Sydney property um, has generally got a nosebleed. Um, <laughs> so probably property has been a good, good investment. Yeah. Not sure if that's going to be the same going forward. I'd say the worst is uh, early on in my career when I was at National Asset Management, 
I took the advice of the guy who was running the equities desk on a pre-IPO yeah. uh, and said, oh, you got you got to all get into this. Uh, I won't name the name, but um, we, we all piled in and, you know, I had $10,000 to put in uh, and that was like, you know, pretty big money for me back then. Yeah. I put it into this pre-IPO and within six months the company went under. Yeah, <laughs> so I was reminded that, uh, you know, these get rich quick, quick schemes or ideas, they generally don't pay. And therefore, yeah. you're better off with the slow and steady kind of uh, rationale or mentality. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you want to learn more about alternative assets, there's a book here you can read, How You Grow Your Wealth with Alternative Assets. Now back to the episode. I think about, you know, personal investments. If you get, ever get invited from mates, sorry, advice from mates, it's always a bad idea. They're great <laughs> for hanging out with, yeah. taking investments is from. Or, or if the taxi driver gives you a tip, yeah, yeah, it's, it's probably time to get out. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Now from an investment strategy perspective, um, what are you, you know, investing in, um, you know, and how do you plan to invest in, in those investments and why do you plan to do it? And this is more from a personal perspective, less so revolution. On a, on a personal perspective, I'm looking to diversify more uh, into alternative assets in particular. So this, you know, from, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more of a, uh, ability to take more risk given, you know, mm. the, uh, the kind of boring investments I made in the past. So some of the, some of the things that I've invested in is, you know, smaller companies, almost venture capital type where yeah. I, I think that they have a very strong, yeah, sure. a, a strong, um, you know, product and uh, a good addressable market. Um, I think there's also the ability to use some of the skills that we use at, at Revolution to invest personally. Um, I'm talking here about, you know, smaller companies that are doing uh, non-bank lending um, where we're lending to, to those for them to grow their businesses. These are probably a little bit higher risk than what we'd um, entertain at Revolution. But um, from a personal perspective, you know, I'm prepared to take that risk uh, on a PA basis rather than for the fund. Gotcha. What about things like passion assets, like collectibles, cars, <laughs> anything well, in that space that interests you? Well, uh, I think you're going to ask me about my personal, uh, what I do outside of work. And there's probably many, uh, who, many people who, who hang out with me know I've got a, a very strong passion for cars, uh, in particular older cars. Um, and, you know, it really just went from, loving little matchbox cars and they've just gotten bigger and bigger over time. But um, that was never something that I invested in to make money. Gotcha. Um, I can tell you now though, that um, those, the value of those, some of those cars have gone up dramatically. Yeah. And the, the, the best catalyst of that is, is my wife doesn't um, you know, give me grief for owning them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Although she keeps telling me it's a paper profit until I sell them, but um, I'm not prepared to sell them. And I tell yeah. her that, you know, that's her superannuation. Yeah, it's always great when you can make money from a hobby. Yeah, and enjoy it along the way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it, uh, it having money in the bank is is, is not that uh, exciting, but when you can get in and and uh, relieve some stress by driving a, a really nice car on the weekends, that's that's my yeah. idea of fun. For sure. Now, what legacy are you living and leaving? A little bit of a philosophical question. Yeah, it's pretty deep there, Travis. <laughs> um, my legacy, what I would really love is to have a business that outlives me and everybody working for it. Um, and I believe this is where I, I talked about having alignment of interest to your, to your clients. So we can point to having a very strong governance in our business. So what do I mean by that? We don't charge performance fees, which many others do in a capital stable product where we can only ever get our money back. Mm. If we do a good job, we don't believe that you should have a performance fee objective, which then incents you to take more risk. We also don't take any of the upfront fees. So in all, a lot of these loans that we make, 
we are offered not only a margin, but mm. also an upfront fee. We philosophically believe that that is the investor's return. So we put all of those upfront fees that we mm. receive on those loans into the funds. So again, we're not incentivized to, you know, front load the upfront fees because we've got a, a portion or all of that sort of um, upfront fee to account to, to, to the management yeah. company. So the legacy, and then the other thing is, we know cycles are gonna happen. So we don't offer retail product. It's for wholesale only investors who understand the, the, um, the illiquid nature of what we're investing in, because that's part of why we're offering this type of return. So we have this ability to provide liquidity, but it's on the basis of liquidity windows and matching off applications, and then potentially running off the assets to pay uh, any particular large investors. Yeah. We never fire sale investors, investments. Gotcha. Uh, that is um, to the detriment of everybody in the fund. Sure. So some of the best investments, uh, investors in the market have gone by the wayside because they offered liquidity and a mismatch between asset and liability, whereby when people wanted their money back and mm. they promised them that they could get it back on a daily or monthly basis, that's the end of their business when they gate or they start fire selling investments that are illiquid sure. in good markets. Yeah, no, it's good, good, uh, good structure of your fund. Yeah. Um, now, what do you believe are the keys to successful investment? And I know some of these questions are overlapping, but you know, key to successful investment and, and why? Well, I think you've really got to understand the risk that you're prepared to take. Um, so understanding what your risk tolerance is and if you're diversified, in which bucket does this mm. particular investment sit? You know, whether you're doing it for a, you know, a business or whether you're doing it personally. So never confuse you know, where you want to be and you size your investments based on your level of risk tolerance and which bucket you think that fits in. Uh, at Revolution Asset Management, we fit in that bit of your portfolio that's defensive, where you can potentially give up some liquidity to get a better return for sleep at night types of credit that give you good, steady, metronomic quarterly uh, income. Um, but, you know, obviously if, you know, in, in private debt or private credit, you know, the, the spectrum of risk return is is vast. So sure. lending money to BHP in a loan, that's private debt. Obviously very low return because it's very good credit. But then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got special situations, distressed debt. Mm. And this is, you know, the analogy for that is you're going into burning buildings and trying to recover a few bodies. <laughs> a very different yeah, thing to what sure. we do. And then the whole spectrum in between. But, but what we really represent is the ability to harvest both a, a credit spread for the risk but also a healthy illiquidity premium uh, in delivering the return for our investors. For sure. Yeah. I mean, what I like about uh, Revolution is you know exactly what you do do mm. and what you don't do, which is nice for an investor to understand that you know, they're getting what they're told they're going to get. So yeah. It's a strong, strong characteristic. You've got to be true to, true to label and, and not deviate away just because the market changes. For sure. Then try to change, change your stripes on the fly. On the fly. Yeah. Now, uh, another little philosophical question. Now, what qualities and character traits separate great investors from the rest? Uh, if I had to incorporate one word, it's discipline. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and having the discipline is, you know, it sounds easy, but mm. it's, it's difficult in practice. So when you're presented with a host of opportunities, it's really the discipline to say, these are the ones we are going to do. Yeah. And keeping your hands in your pockets sometimes is the best strategy. Sure. And not doing something, particularly in what we do. We, mm. we get a chance to say yes and invest in a particular loan. Mm. And then once you're in, you're strapped in for the ride. Sure. You don't get a chance like you can in the US to trade out. 
You change your mind, you trade out for a few cents less. In Australia, you are there through thick and thin. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's often the trade you don't do, right? That's it's your best trade. Yeah, yeah, well, we're very proud of the deals we've done, yeah, yeah. but really proud of the ones that we've avoided because they've still gotten financed. Yeah, They're yeah. just not financed by us. Yeah, yeah gotcha. Fair enough. That's mm. good. Now, we're going to go into a bit of a quick fire questions. So right. One or two answers. Here we so go. I appreciate your time to, sure. time to now. I know you mentioned this earlier, but what was your first job? And we're talking, you know, when you, when you were young, the first actual job you ever had that you, you, know, you earned a dollar from. Oh, probably my first real job. And I was, I was a bit spoiled as a kid, but um, yeah. I was a part-time teller uh, at the Ainsley Bank at Bathurst and Castlereagh. Yeah, gotcha. And uh, some of the things I learned there was getting abused by, uh, by people coming <laughs> in. And when, when the rates were rising, getting abused as a part-time teller wasn't fun. Yeah, that sounds tough. Yeah. <laughs> Hard job. Hey, if you're enjoying this, please leave a review. It's really important to us. We're trying to build momentum around education and better reviews will get more people coming and listening. Now, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Piece of advice I give my younger self, I would say, yeah, again, a, a bit, bit of a broken record, but, you know, take your time. Um, yeah, gotcha. All good things take time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Now, is there a skill you think is key for building wealth? Probably similar answer, right? You've mentioned discipline a few times, but yeah, I, I think like compounding, um, yeah, you know, sure. having, you know, having a regular kind of addition to what you're doing, uh, in a steady state kind of, uh, investment, um, strategy, uh, can really build on wealth, uh, in a big way over time. Um, it's funny, all these questions are nearly come back to your same answer of discipline, but is it a habit that you have that helped you build wealth? <laughs> yes. Broken record. Um, <laughs> But a habit that, that helped me build wealth is, is just having, you know, the right opportunities and picking the ones that are, uh, the, are the ones that probably are the safer bet, but are, are maybe not the get rich quick scheme, but yeah. something might take a bit longer. Gotcha. And what's your definition of sustainable success? How are you achieving it? And how can others, you know, replicate some of the things you've done in your life and career? Uh, it goes back to, you know, understanding what you're really in business to do. So we take the business of investing people's money extremely seriously. Um, we, we get to talk to advisors and end clients who ind individually have done a wonderful job in building their wealth. Mm, sure. And and what we're really interested in in, in really um, in, in providing our product is capital stability. So generally these people are a little bit older. They've been very successful. They've either sold a business or got a liquidity event in their lives. They're not interested in betting the ranch on, on, on the go forward basis. They want a nice steady income that can provide them with good sleep at night, capital stability. So the money they've made, they're safe knowing that it's uh, in good hands and they derive a very good income uh, from that on a non-correlated basis rather than, you know, whipsawing around with, with whatever's happening in the, in the overall liquid markets. Yeah. It's also good to have an investment you don't have to stress about. Exactly. Yeah. Or you, if you, if you, um, you know, have an allocation for your, you know, the high risk part of your allocation, then you understand that if things don't go so well, sure. you know, that was understood at the beginning. Yeah, that's, that's a bit you have a bit of fun with. Exactly. Yeah. Now, do you have a tip for people keen to grow their wealth? If I have a tip for P, uh, I would say diversification is probably yeah. the key. So having a, uh, a, a lot of different um, you know, diversified portfolio of different types of investments, different sectors and different asset classes will serve you well. I mean, sure. trying to predict the future, um, you know, much smarter people than us, like Howard Marks, you know, try, you know came out with a really great, um, at the end of last year, uh, uh, one of his monthlies talked about macro forecasting 
And it's just fraught with danger when yeah. people just try to, you know, predict the future with great certainty because nobody knows. Yeah, sure. But setting yourself with the idea that we don't know what's going to happen, but within a certain level of, of um, realistic constraints, yeah, that sure. you'll overall be, you know, better off. Yep, sure. Now, when you're not working, how do you like to spend your time? Yeah, so cars. Um, yeah, got I love I love cars, and um, so when I'm not behind a computer, there's nothing like getting out and um, and and driving an old school V8. So do you play around with the cars? Like, do you work on them? Are you a little yeah. mini mechanic, or you? No, I wouldn't say I'm a mechanic, but I'm enough to. I mean, these old cars are pretty basic, so yeah, I maintain them and and look after them. It's sort of yeah. part of the uh, cathartic um, thing that you do when you're yeah, not sure. when you're not bashing a keyboard. <laughs> yeah, now sounds good. Now, what's what's new? What's next for you? What does the well, next few years look like? Well, I'm, I'm really passionate about revolution asset management. So really, um, when, I, when I first started five and a half years ago, I was, you know, late 40s. I thought, oh, by 55, I'll be done and I'll retire. Yeah, but I kind of think back and what else would I be doing? What else would I really want to be doing? Um, I get bored pretty easily. So um, I could be, you know, doing nothing other than, you know, what I'm really loving about this business. And I really look forward to, you know, growing the business and, you know, growing, you know, that, that small family that we have and the culture and the, and the legacy that we spoke about. Yeah, I think I mean, that's the thing about running your own business. You, can, you know, control your own destiny. You control yeah. your day. So yeah. I think I yeah. understand. Yeah. Now, to summarise our conversation today, what are your key takeaways and must-do actions for investors? Well, when you're thinking about private debt, um, you really have to pick the right manager who has the right discipline I mentioned and the right integrity and the right alignment of interests. Sure. Um, you need to pick a manager that's actually you know, constructed their portfolios to weather the kind of macro, you know, forecast that looks to be more, more to the downside going forward. Um, the key takeaway would be, you know, pick, choose your manager very carefully and choose the portfolio you're investing in very carefully. Um, don't go into something that may be a ticking time bomb uh, if there's a whole bunch of issues in the portfolio right before midnight, yeah. because it feels to us like, there's a, a few strategies out there that are already under pressure. We haven't even had the full cycle. Yeah. But if you do it well, then you can produce something that we find um, our clients are very, very happy with, which is a higher income now because base rates have gone from zero to four. Um, you can get you know, good, steady, non-correlated income uh, every quarter. And that's, that's the key takeaway that I like to leave yeah. people with. I think that's critical on you, you mentioned around the people, right? You know, before investing, understand who you're investing with, who they are, their CVs and backgrounds. And I, I know the Revolution team well, very ex experienced people, great reputation. So I think doing that research is is critical. And now if people want to know more about yourself, Revolution team, Revolution business, how do they go about doing it? Aside from obviously going to a website. Yeah, I think um, we... We have uh, various ways you can access the fund. I mean, uh, that, that would be coming from qualified wholesale investments, so uh, investors, so not, not, um, not, not a retail product, as I mentioned. But there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of platforms that we're on, so you can access, access the fund that way. But speak to your advisor um, and, and come through uh, our distribution partner, which is Channel Capital, um, should you want to learn more about um, Revolution Asset Management. No, that's brilliant. Really appreciate your time today, and it's great to have a chat. Thank you, Travis. Appreciate the opportunity. Hey, if you're enjoying this, please leave a review. It's really important to us. We're trying to build momentum around education, and better reviews will get more people coming and listening.